welcome to the Business Leader Podcast. My name is Serena, and today our guests rose to fame on Dragon's Den, having founded the male cosmetics brand, Walking. His most recent venture is Jack, an interactive mental health platform that gives users access to knowledge from experts and known figures with lived experience. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to receive the latest episodes. And now it's time to welcome Danny Bray to the podcast. Welcome, Danny. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Absolute pleasure to be on. Thanks uh, for inviting me. I appreciate it. Great. So many listeners might have seen you on the show Dragon's Den, where you showcased your cosmetics brand, War Paint. Can you tell us a bit about your journey and what your motivation behind starting War Paint was? Of course, yeah. So anyone that watched the show, I sort of came out and told the world for the first time really that I suffer with a mental health condition which is called body dysmorphic disorder or BDD which is a mental health condition where you obsess about the way you look um, and the reason that started or how it started was when I was 12 years old I got bullied, bullied uh, in my middle school so look I was Jack the Lads played football captain of the school football team and then all of a sudden on the playground, some guys started taking the out of my ears because my ears used to be right angles to my head. And they started flapping their ears and singing the R. Kelly song, I Believe I Can Fly, uh, which means I can't listen to R. Kelly now, which is a bonus. But it had a massive impact on me, right? So the first time I ever went home, started, and I thought, actually, my ears do stick out. And then within three months, my mum got my ears pinned back on the NHS, which sort of shows to me at 12 how much it must have been affecting me. But look, didn't fix the issue. And then uh, I was obsessed about the way I look. Uh, it got gradually worse and worse over 10 years. But when I got to about 15, 16, um, I was getting spots, not acne. Um, I was fortunate not to get acne, but it was a massive issue for me. Turned to my sister, gave me a bit of concealer. Honestly, I couldn't believe what product did and how easy it was to use and how it made me feel. So I've been wearing makeup for the last 20 years, going on today. But throughout those 20 years, couldn't find a brand that related to me as a man. Something I felt I could buy in confidence to store. So there were some brands out there sort of position it to men but I felt they overcomplicated it they were getting women makeup artists to put it on men I was like well that's not helping me so after talking about it for a long time I decided to create my own brand back in 2017 and we launched in November 2018. And it certainly is an incredibly unique brand in a market that isn't saturated at all at the moment which is why when you went on the show Dragon's Den you did get offers of investment from all of the dragons. So many people know what happens, you know, on screen, but what is the process like after you get that investment? So it's like any investment, right? So potentially you go and pitch and they like it and say, look, we want to invest, but then there's a whole due diligence process afterwards. And I'll be honest, I came off the show, even though it went very, very well, and I was a bit gutted. Um, I was annoyed with myself that I'd done a deal for 12%, you know. Um, and that's why if anyone watches it, uh, or watched it, I was quite stern in my approach with negotiation and actually went really well. So I came off and I was a bit upset that I'd given too much away. But look, the due diligence process afterwards, not every deal happens afterwards. And it just so happened that the deal that we did, it just never materialized. But from both parts, well, yeah, it just didn't really happen. <laughs> I can't go into it too much, but that's happens, right? It's a handshake on a show, due diligence. And that investment didn't happen but then four I think four or five months later I actually did get investment from uh, a VC firm from considerably more money um so look it was an amazing process went in there uh, and look for me 
it was a big step because we'd gone viral previous to that in a very negative sense, Warpaint across the world. And then I was on Dragon's Den. So it was a chance for me to tell my story, which I'd never really done before. And it made me realize that, you know, a product is a product. It's the brand's mission is more important because the product has to be good. It's like, why is it here? That's what people buying into more. So uh, after that, after Dragon's Den, it, it, we did get a lot of uh, positive feedback, which was amazing. And um, I just want to backtrack mental health as being a big factor in influencing and, and creating the brand. But did you always know that you wanted to start a business and become a business founder? Or what, what were you doing prior to founding the business? Yeah, so uh, um, I hate the word like entrepreneurial, but I think I'd already had it, I've, I've always had it in me, right? So at 16, you know, at school I did all right. Um, I excelled in quite a few things I didn't in others, um, you know, sport, maths, uh, drama, like, but then when it came to English and stuff, I struggled. Uh, I now found out that I'm dyslexic. Um, so I did all right at school, but always in the back of my mind, I was thinking of stuff I could do on the side to earn a bit of money. Um, you know, the classics and sweets, uh, I know this is bad to say really bad, but I was like, I'd buy a cigarette. This is awful, actually. I shouldn't really say it, but back then I was buying cigarettes and selling cigarettes and stuff like that on the side. And then when I got to 16, I started, uh, I bought three bouncy castles for 900 quid, borrowed the money um, and did a little bouncy castle company that went really, really well. So I was wheelbarrowing them around in my village, dropping them off, got my mates to drive them around um, and drop them off. And eventually I had like seven or eight bouncy castles and they're out every weekend and I was making like good money at 16. So um, left doing that. Then I went in working with my old man in, in the car industry. I started a valet, car valeting business on the side. So I, I've always had this thing on, I've been doing stuff on the side, went into a corporate career, traveled, doing sales, but I was always looking at something on the side, always. Like I had an idea about, you know, you do five-side football, right? I was like, well, can you imagine? This is before cameras were cameras. Imagine if we get security cameras like you can remember, you know, goals, it's this five-side tournaments that are hosted around the UK. I said, imagine if we put in cameras and we record everything and then people can come on and buy their video. So I tested all that out, bought the cameras. So I'd always had ideas about what to do, but in the back of my mind, I always had this idea about a men's makeup brand and it was there and there and there and there. Oh, I kept talking about it. So, oh, there has to be a brand. I want to do a brand one day. And then I was on the golf course, <coughs> excuse me, I was on the golf course and my best mate, <coughs> turned around to me and said, you've got to stop talking about a men's makeup brand and just do it. And it was some, it's like, it's like something flicked in my switch and in my head and literally couldn't wait to get off the golf course. So that was the second I decided to create a men's makeup brand. I literally sat in my, in my car on the golf course, car park for like three hours, calling people because I had no idea, right? I was not from the industry, not from beauty, didn't ask to create makeup, but yeah, that's how it started. So I've always had that bug. Um, about earning money and doing it for myself. Uh, but wallpaper was a catalyst, really, to me to really commit everything to it. Yeah, I think a lot of business founders definitely do say that they've often had that entrepreneurial spark within them from a very young age. But in terms of wallpaper, the types of products that you have, so like you have bronzer, foundation, primer, and concealer all as a part of your business. And these are products that have typically been seen within uh, women's cosmetics for for a very long time but why do you think these products haven't typically been adopted by men historically you know why why is there this gap in the market here 
Well, historically, they have, believe it or not. So you go back 16th, 17th century, France, across Europe, men would put have their faces white, right? And that was makeup. That was a form of makeup, and that was seen as a beauty thing. I think when we look, I look back at it during the First World War, and you know, men went to war, women stayed at home, women made themselves look pretty, men went to work, men went down the pub, women stayed at home, made themselves look pretty. So all of a sudden, all the conglomerates and big organizations were just targeting the makeup to met to females. And it was very much, well, that's what women do. Men go down the pub, get drunk, come home, have the dinner ready for them, which when you look back now is a bit ridiculous. And women look pretty. So it was ingrained for the last 60, 70 years. It's always targeted to women, targeted to women. So for me, you know, you look at skincare, you look at fashion, you look at everything. A lot of that is about how you feel and how it makes you feel, right? Fashion, what clothes you wear. So for me, it was always a, a belief that, there would be an appetite for it because I've used it, right? And the thing is, for me, it was very different how I use it to potentially how women use it, right? It takes me two, five minutes in the morning. It's about evening out my skin tone. It's not contouring, highlighting, uh, enhancing. It's just evening out my skin tone. So when I looked at the products as well, when I was buying makeup, women's makeup, I found the makeup very heavy, had shimmer in it, had a different floral smell in it. So I thought there was actual proper differences in the actual product compared to when you look at something like skincare, it's marketed to men for Nivea and then women for someone else. There's very little difference. It's a branding package where what I did with my makeup, it was you know formulated all myself. It's very fine. It's got no floral smell. It's got no shimmer on it. It's easy to apply. So there are subtle differences, right? And the other thing for me was education. I think men it, it got ingrained that makeup could take 45 minutes. You have to know what you're doing. It takes forever where I was like, no, no, it takes me five minutes in the morning. So it, for me, it's much about the educational piece and how to apply, which when I look, was looking out at it, when there were some brands about, they were overcomplicating it. So for me, that was, it was all the education piece that was very different and getting guys to understand that when you think of makeup, I think guys would think it's lipstick, eyeliner, bright colors. No, 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 when I'm talking about makeup, it's, it's almost invisible. It's for yourself, for no one else. And it's to even out your skin tone. So I use this analogy, right? You put hundred guys in a room, and you put a massive spot on the end of their nose. We haven't done this before, but I can guarantee 99 out of 100 will go, yeah, yeah, I'm a little bit conscious about it. Yeah, all right, so just doing this, dipping your finger in a bit of product and putting it on. Okay, how do you feel now that you can't see and no one knows you're wearing makeup? Okay, well, yeah, great. It's the same, right? A lot of people do their hair before they go out. Well, would you not do your hair to go out for a night out? No, I'd probably do it every time. Well, what's the difference? And it's not for anyone else, it's how it makes you feel. So. I've always had this thing around guys with acne, guys with rosacea, broken capillaries. Then go down the gym and lose weight and make themselves feel better because a lot of the time, like losing weight and getting in shape isn't for anyone else. It's for how it makes you feel. But actually, if you've got acne, scarring, blemishes, spots, dark under eyes, oh, you can't do anything about that. So that, that was my mindset around if you just show guys it's easy, quick to use, and look, it can have real benefits to just putting something on so you're not conscious about it. That's what I totally believe in. That makes complete sense. And it does make you realize that so many different products have become gendered over time. But, you know, why has something like makeup become predominantly available to only a, a certain group of people? Um, I think it definitely makes you realize those things. Yeah. And look, what I've never said, I've never said you have to buy men's makeup. If you're a guy, of course you can go and buy women's or that's targeted to women's or go and buy any product like don't be driven by if it's for men or for women when we went viral before and it was negative when we first launched the brand it was going very well then we went negative across twitter it was unbelievable a lot of people saying just go and buy the comments which why don't you just buy women's products okay so we, let's take a step back 
So you're an 18-year-old guy. You've got a breakout of spots. You're going to walk in to a store in Harrods or Tesco's or anywhere, go up to a counter that is full of women, that educate women, and buy a product. You're never going to do it. You're going to go online to Mac, whoever it is. Everything on the website, 99% of it is about women and how to apply it. So are you going to feel comfortable or go on there? And this is what I was trying to battle against because that's what I had when I was growing up. So the makeup, I'm not saying don't just wear men's makeup. I've designed it for how I want it. Wear any makeup you want. I'm not trying to say you have to buy men's makeup. It's just for me, it was the whole education piece uh, was was missing massively or getting people to maybe try it. I'm not saying it's for everyone, but everyone's got to use it. But for me, I think a lot of it is anxiety and everything mental health is the unknown, right? It's the, always the future. So if someone does have breakout spots or dark under eyes or whatever it is, they potentially won't try makeup, even though it could have a massive benefit because of the preconceptions around it. So that's all I'll say. Maybe give it a go. You never know. Yeah, and that that does make complete sense. But I think one of the the kind of topics that comes up around just the makeup industry in general, uh, I mean, makeup has the tremendous capability to be incredibly empowering for all of the reasons that you've just said. But it can also have the ability to maybe perpetuate certain attitudes towards perfectionism within people that use makeup. So it really is dependent on how people go about using it. So is that something that you're aware of within the brand? Because that is, you know, the direct thing that you have also tried to combat through the product as well. Absolutely. Well, by saying that it's a tool that I use and it's not the fix. So it's just a tool that I use to help you with my mental health. It's like everything's a tool for me. And if you start using a tool to excess and depend on it, it can be very difficult, right? So, but what I believe in is just given a choice. So I use loads of different tactics for my mental health around helping me manage it, right? If you go back when I was 28, I didn't manage my mental health. I felt to be, I had a breakdown. And then when I started to, to understand my mental health and manage it, makeup's just a part of a tool that I use. There's many other things, right? that I have in routines, going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time, having a cold shower every morning, getting to work, doing certain things, having a certain break at home, not overthinking, having a break when I'm struggling. Uh, And then I just use makeup as one of those things every day. So I'm a firm believer that it's a tool. There's lots of tools to manage your mental health, but you have to get your mind right. So that's why I've created Jack, right? Because a lot of brands talk about it, but do nothing about it, right? So they talk about mental health, Right, well, our products are over here, but oh, make sure you mental health, but they do nothing to actually give someone a tool to help them with their mental health. And I I was getting a lot of people message me and saying, it's amazing what you're doing for the mental health space. And I felt a fraud because, well, well, I'm just talking about it. So that's why I created Jack, because I wanted to actually do something rather than just talk about it. So there is that fine line between a product, and I know there's a, a lot on that, but I think that's the same with everything, right? Jim. People go to the gym, then they get obsessive about it. People close, people can buy a lot of clothes because they get obsessive about it. So there's just spectrums of where it can all sit. And we've just got to be careful that we balance and we're in the right part of that spectrum. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. You mentioned that when you were starting the business, you put out you know, advertising on Twitter and received initially a negative backlash. How did you deal with that backlash? you know, on a personal level, but also in terms of having to navigate that in a business sense as well. 
<laughs> it ignores what I didn't manage it. So it was interesting, right? So we launched it in November 18. It was just me and a nine-year-old girl in a flat. First month, I think I forecasted £2,000 worth of sales. We did 11. Second month, I think I said five grand. We did 28. Third month, we did 36. I'm like, oh my God. And I think that's normal. But I look back now, that definitely wasn't normal, picking a packet in. And it, it was going well. And then all of a sudden, we put an um, advert on Twitter. And what we did was I used guys sort of five years ago who weren't being used for ads for this type of product. So, you know, mu- muscly guys, right? With tattoos up to their neck and stuff like that. Trying to show that different types of guys might try makeup. And then we put it on Twitter and it literally went viral overnight. So we got 8 million views, 24 hours. And it was really negative. Every press article wrote about us, CNN, we're on news in America, internet backlashes against men's makeup. Toxic masculinity was used a lot. And I'll be honest, it was crushing. Like, it was my sister's birthday and we were out for dinner. It was May the 9th, 2019. And I was out for dinner and then the girl worked for me just texted me saying I'm going viral. I didn't even know what viral meant. I looked and it was just unbelievable, the backlash. And then at that time... Honestly, my world fell away from under my feet. Like I can remember sitting at my sister's birthday with all my family there. I couldn't speak. And you know, and then like it's a bit like mental health, right? They didn't know what was going on. And everyone's had a few drinks. Like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm like, no, it'll be fine. And we had two days of it, really. I'd put the phone down in the office and it'll be calling and it would be Daily Mail. It'll be, can we have an interview? And I just was like, no, no, no. But what happens, you know, at that minute when you're in it, it's a bit like mental health. When you're in that crisis mode, you don't think there's a way out. And I didn't. I was literally broken, crying. People coming to my office trying to say it'll be all right. And I just, at that minute, you're like, it's not. But what happened, even though we're getting all this out the front end, back end, we did record sales. Like record, ridiculous sales compared to what we normally do. And people messaging saying, I love it. I thank you. You've introduced me to make up. You know, my son's using it, da, 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 da. he would never have used it before and it's giving us confidence. So then I looked at that, I was like, when I looked at negativity, I was like, everyone's been very negative about the brand, but they weren't talking about my story because I had it on the website, but it's very hidden because I was so ashamed of it. It was just on the R story page, a bit of text. And just by fate, two days later, I was filming Dragon's Den. So I was literally driving up to Manchester and I was pulling over in the evening to do interviews from America who were just like, trying to ruin me so when I went on Dragon's Den I made a conscious decision I have to tell my story and then that's where everything changed so at the time I didn't manage it and it was really difficult but now I look back at it and now that I've learned a lot which I used to think was a bit of a con not con I used to think people say oh you learn a lot in business you get better but that's the right rubbish but absolutely so I look back at it now I'd probably try and amplify it with what happened you know I probably would have done interviews and stood by what I believed where I just hid away from it and then we went on Dragon's Den and after I told my story, it was a big turning point because we got a lot of positive, a lot of positive press afterwards. And that sort of changed everything for me, the mindset about what a brand should be about. It's not really about the product, it's about what you're trying to do and explaining that. So that's when we started filming everything, putting content out uh, and it really shaped the brand, right? So where it was the, probably the most difficult thing I've ever been through in my life, if I'm honest, because I'd remortgaged my house, left the job, risked everything. Um, I thought it was over. And when you look back at now, if that hadn't happened, I probably wouldn't be sat here today talking to you. It's definitely interesting to hear that you had record sales in that period of time as well, which makes sense because, you know, something going viral just gains traction. But do you think that there is any such thing as bad press? Someone said something to me, right, when this happens. And they said, the worst thing about people talking about you are people not talking about you. 
So what it did do for us as a brand was being this unknown to like being every news article you can imagine, every publication in beauty, and then everyone sort of noticed who we were, even though it was from a negative sense. So what I would say about bad press, depending on what you're calling bad press, right? If you've done something horrendous and you've done something bad as a business leader, celebrity, and then you've got bad press because what you've done is actually bad, of course, that's going to ruin your career. But if it's something where it's a bit, misconstrued or something like that sometimes even all of that negative press does at least will get people talking about you and noticing your brand and that's what we had and i use the analogy right so go to a restaurant you have an amazing meal everything's perfect food's great service is great you get up you walk out and that's you may pay the service charge right same restaurant everything's perfect you get a dirty spoon you call the manager over turn this dirty spoon you have a go at them and that for me is we are that negative bias, right? Rather than if you have a good meal, everything's perfect. It's very rare for someone to say, can I have a chat with the manager? Just let you know, everything was amazing tonight. Food was incredible. Service was incredible. And for me, that's a lot online as well. So people will jump on neg negative and all jump in. It takes very brave people who don't actually believe in that view to go up against the hundreds of comments. But we got that in the back end. So people messaging us direct, which gave me hope. So again, a long-winded answer, but... In terms of negative press, as long as you haven't done anything bad, sometimes it, it, it can stand your brand out, right? And sometimes being a vanilla brand who doesn't isn't polarizing can be a negative thing if you play it too safe, right? Where you will piss people off or people don't agree with it, then I believe there will be people who like it, right? And so the other way I'll flip it is these people who are lambasting the brand or going mad about it or guys who are taking the mick out of it, they're not my customer anyway. You know, they're the people I'm probably never going to, like converse i don't like fine have your opinion but there's this pool of people over here that i think my brand is suitable for so sometimes you can't please everyone with what you're trying to do and i think that can be a positive thing yeah it can definitely be a positive thing and also indicate innovation because if something is a little bit controversial it kind of points to the fact that it hasn't been done before and so i think controversy isn't necessarily pointing to it to it being a negative thing especially within the business world I do want to touch on uh, your new venture which is Jack and so you have developed a, a cosmetics retail brand but now you've segued into the health tech space which is quite an interesting transition so how did the opportunity to start Jack come about? Look, so wall, wall paint is going well. We, we've scaled well. Uh, we're just actually just launched in Superdrug, 350 stores a couple of months ago, just launched in America. So look, it was all going really nicely. And I totally believe in the brand, what we're trying to do. But I was getting loads of messages from just general people, right? And they're saying, oh, it's amazing what you're doing in mental health. It's, you know, I've got a lot from it. Can I have calls? Can I have a call with you? It'll be a mum, girlfriend. And I was having calls with people late at night trying to just give them some advice. And it dawned on me about, because I had it myself, the, the lack of advice that's out there and information. Yeah, there's a lot of information, but it's very hard to find the right information, especially within mental health. And the average length is 10 years of someone first feeling something to reach out. And everything at the minute is based on crisis, call lines, helplines, tech services, NHS. And what I'm always thinking, and these people in the 10-year journey right at the beginning, they're not going to go to the doctor. They're not going to call us helpline. Where they go to get information? They go on Google. They speak to someone. So it sort of dawned on me the lack of information out there and about digitalizing it in a really personal way to get empathy. And then the other thing which I touched on earlier 
I felt a fraud with people saying you're doing amazing things because I think there are a lot of people talking about mental health out there. But I think that message has been going for about 10, 15 years that we need to talk. I think we get it. And I think there needs to be a little bit more action about tools out there. Um, and then I had the concept of creating this interactive platform where we get lean experts, we get people with lived experience, well-known names to have like this interactive conversation that isn't a chat bot, get empathy from it. And it was born literally at 1.30 in the morning, two and a half years ago on my sofa, because I just saw this new type of tech and I was like, this could change everything for mental health. And I literally lay on my bed on my sofa because I couldn't sleep and came up with the name Jack, bought the domain name at 1.38 in the morning. And it's hilarious actually. So I come up with the name Jack, J-A-Q, which stands for just ask a question. And then I looked at my GoDaddy account and I was like, oh my God, .co.uk is available for Jack. So did you know what you do then? I shit myself. I was trying to find my credit card to buy it as if someone was going to buy it. Bought the domain name and literally lay on my sofa and I don't want to call it like, I call it, it was almost like the matrix came down, which is a bit ridiculous. How I said, but I could just see the website. I could see the platform, which should look like, so I just sat on my computer for a few hours and made a really basic website, mapped it out. And then it went from there and it's just snowballed really into like this belief. And I wanted to do more than just talk about mental health. So it's become, it was a passion at the beginning and now it's, it's turned into a, a full standalone business. There definitely is in the UK a growing mental health epidemic. So the use for it is is 100% there. But in, in terms of building a platform like this, which is responding to some very sensitive issues from users who might have some, some quite complex mental health issues, how do you go about ensuring that the platform is giving sound advice and also abides by any kind of ethical rules or procedures that, that I might need to? Yeah, yeah. So we went through all of that process. So there's medical devices. We are, there's like a, almost like a tier system of medical devices from one, which is nowhere near to then three, you have to become a medical advice. But because we're just giving information and it's not personalized, we're the lowest tier you can get. So, but what we do is a very strict governance process around the experts we get on. So there's two different things, right? There's experts, professors, doctors who give information about a condition, whatever it is. And we go through all the question sets with them and then we check the answers afterwards. But it's like anything. If you ask a doctor, what is depression? He answers that question. It's not directional to you to like, actually this, you have depression. It's just giving the right information. So all of the uh, answers are checked and there's nothing in there around, actually, if you ask this question, oh, because you've asked this question, you probably have depression. It's not diagnosing anyone. It's just giving people the right information. It's like Google at the minute, right? You put in what is depression in Google, 3.2 billion hits. 3.2 billion hits. Are any of those checked? Are any of those what they should be? Is some guy or girl in Australia who's written a blog about it, right? Well, we have Professor Paul Gilbert, OBE, lean expert in the UK for depression, answering it, what that is. So it's very far away from having big clinical advice where, because it's not like personalized, if that makes sense. It's just general information. And I just think that's, What's difficult at the minute for someone trying to find information? Where do you go? And generally with Google, we know what happens a lot of the time with that. You can go down a bit of a rabbit warren. And the other thing for me is like with my struggles is about where does my mum go and get the right information? You know, my mum isn't going to go and speak to a doctor about potentially her son who's got this thing. I don't know how to manage it. So my mum can go on, ask the leading expert in the UK, what is body dysmorphia? He'll just tell, say what it is. Okay, I understand it a bit now. 
you can go and ask someone with a lived experience, what does it feel like? What can I do? What shouldn't I do? And just get some information. I just think you could change everything. That makes complete sense. And it's uh, it's definitely a field that is needed. It's it's a lot of information that is needed by a lot of people at the moment. So uh, that's great to hear that this service is being provided. But um, I do want to come back to something that you said about your growth in terms of wall paint going into super drug. How are you going about scaling the business at this point in time? Because there is certain economic strains and, and uncertainties for most or every retail business. So how are you tackling those challenges and, and what is your strategy for scaling? Well, I'll be honest, we, we get a lot of reach out direct to us rather than us having to go and find these partnerships. So and I just think, as you types will know, I just think there isn't a lot in the market for what we're doing uh, and there is a growing interest in it so we've just launched skincare range as well which is a, a nice entry point into the brand so we you know we've got the biggest range of skincare slash makeup in the world for for men in terms of amount of products it, yeah of course the, the the strain on the economy is only going to get worse and worse and you know that's something everyone's going to have to combat especially about selling a product but the interesting thing with that one of the last products to go are self-care believe it or not do you know what I mean? And so the people trying to, uh, there's some stats out there around, of course it gets hit like everything does, but a lot of people still want something that's going to make them feel a little bit better in, in tough times. But look, it's going to be really difficult and all retailers are going to look at what they're taking on. People are going to look at what they're buying. I think we're in through a, a rocky road. So I'm less worried about we need to scale this and make more, you know, it's not like we're making millions and millions. I'm million now, I'm not. It's just... I think there just needs to be an option out there. And at the minute, it's very limited. So it will be tough with what's coming. But I think it's going to be tough for everyone, if I'm honest. In terms of, you know, you as a business founder and a leader, you came into, into being a founder. And so naturally, inadvertently, you become a leader and a manager as well. As a leader yourself, would you say that you are a natural leader? And what is your leadership style? I think I'm all right. I think I'm all right. Do you know what it is? It's just, God, like, I don't know if any other people who've got a business listen to it or want to start a business. It's tough. It is tough. And the amount, uh, this word imposter syndrome, I didn't know what it was. I get it every day, every day of self-belief and am I leading right? But what, when I was in the corporate world, I was always one trying to come up with ideas and how to, in any business I was in, right? I wanted to get involved with shaping it. So, I don't know if I was a born leader or if I'm the perfect leader, but I think, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't think I've ever shouted at anyone in, in the business. Um, I don't know if, if anyone listens to them, I say, I, I, do you know what I mean? Or I'm just like, just believe in the mission. You know, if you, and that's the other thing, right? If you, if you do something you're passionate about, it is easy. It's very easy. Like I talked about earlier about doing this five-side football thing where we film it. I just saw a gap in the market. And of course, if it, it might have gone well and done it, but I don't think I would have had the passion I have, I have for war paint and, and what I have for Jack. And when you have passion, it's not a job. It's easy. And when I say easy, it's not. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, right? But I can't wait to get up in the morning to go to work, which I think just puts you in a different mindset when you're at work. And the other thing, I'm, I'm very open about my mental health with my team. If I'm having a bit of a tough day, I, I hope they're open with us. Um, Look, for example, we say we say to teams, look, two days a week, come into the office. They're just two days. Like we can just sort everything out. But five day, four days out of five, everyone's in, which to me shows I think they like the environment, especially with a start. Right? You just need to surround yourself with people who who are also 
believe in your mission or the brand, not my mission, the brand's mission and believe in it. Because if they believe in it, changes everything, changes everything. And that's very difficult as you scale bigger and bigger and bigger to have that, to have that environment. But at the beginning, it's rather than just hiring someone for the sake of it, it's like if they believe in it, they'll enjoy it as well, which makes it a lot easier to lead or to manage, right? Every business leader knows how, how stressful it can be running a business and for you running multiple businesses so how do you manage your mental health whilst managing you know those stresses as well yeah it's a good question so i'll be honest at the beginning i was really poor at it like i started warpaint i had a full-time job and then i worked on warpaint on the side for a year which i would always suggest people to do right test the market so what i did with warpaint bought some really bad products in from china i had to buy 100 units put a really bad logo on it create the average website, put some ads out. We made seven orders in 24 hours and I stopped. Thought, okay, right, let's do it properly. But when I was working full time, I had a young family and wallpaint on the side, it was very stressful. I was working a lot of hours. So now with my mental health, I make sure, I just do little things, right? I manage myself a lot better. I have routines better, like cold showers in the morning. I'm always early into the office. I'm first in, clear everything in the morning. I'll also let the team know I have less bad days now, but if I'm having a bad day, like in the morning getting ready or I'm stressed because of my body dysmorphia, I'll, I will let the team know, look, I'm just having a bit of a bad morning. And it just gives me half an hour to get my mind right, but change everything. And the guys then understand I'm not coming in grumpy. It's just like I've had a bit of a bad morning. So I'm very open. But the other thing as well for me, my family are everything. And a lot of people say at the beginning, you do have to work a lot of hours, but as soon as you can, you need to really start turning off because there's a lot of stuff. Oh, you have to work 18 hours a day. I'm telling you now, I work, I get in early, uh, like half seven and I'll go ham, <laughs> but I'll try and leave. I'll always try and leave between half four and half five every day. And then when I get home, I don't touch my phone. I don't touch it. Don't look at it until in the evening. And I won't even look at my emails in the evening because I learned that that when I get home, I'm at home with my kids, it's downtime. And then all of a sudden, because I'm pretty, you can probably tell by this interview, I'm a million miles an hour. So when I'm at work for those hours, I'm a million miles an hour doing a million things. If I took that into my home as well and carried on, I would burn. I would burn instantly. So I just think my balance at the minute is just, someone I did an interview the other day and someone said like, what's your proudest achievement? Or so a question like that, right? Or something. And I just said, right this second. Because right this second, it's not about what's achieved. Because I'm not a millionaire, I'm skin. I'm absolutely skin, by the way. It's at this moment, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life, ever. And it's an unbelievable feeling. Like I am, look, we've got a lot of stress with two businesses. Money's tight. You've got to try and raise capital. got staff. That is all tough. But I can't wait to go to bed to get up in the morning. And then when it comes to the end of the day, I can't wait to go and see my family. And that's because I've learned to manage my mental health as well, where before at 30 years old, I didn't know how to do it. And I was drinking drugs, going out. And it, like for two years, I thought I was losing my, my hair because of my body dysmorphia. I wasn't. And for every minute, every day for two years, that's all I thought about. And it, it's not a way to live. And the other thing is that, let me chat, can I chat about chat GPT quickly? Yeah, go ahead. So um, this for me, it's huge in terms of a few different things, right? I think it's going to find a lot of people out in terms of not look, not from people who have a job for doing like writing and chat GPT takes over. It's, it's from people who start businesses in their bedroom, drop shipping, using AI to create a website that looks really flashy, but there, you know, there's no soul behind the brand. And I think they'll 
there'll be a lot of people now really looking at where they're buying from because because I, I'm seeing it now, right? You start a website in 24 hours. That looks incredible. Looks like it's uh, done by a huge organization. And all, what I'm trying to get with that is that I think before you could just find a product you thought was good, create a website, and you probably sell it, make good money. And of course, the money's good, but what the passion side of it, do you really believe in it? Is it making you excited to get up in the morning? Probably not. So what's the longevity of that? And the way I think I'm very fortunate is that I found something that I just absolutely believe in and I love. Um, rather than, uh, I've just seen a gap in the market. I've seen a product, which there is, there is, you of course do that if that's what you've seen. But I just think for me personally, doing something that I love, it makes it easy. It really does. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Danny. And yeah, it's, it's incredibly refreshing to hear the way that you speak about it and, and kind of to hear the way that you bring yourself back into the present moment in those times of, of stress and, and when you're finding things a little bit difficult. Which is a lot of the time, by the way. I'm, I'm acting as if this is easy. It isn't a lot of the time. It is very stressful and I'm worrying and panicking, but I love what I do. So it makes it easier, right? If you're passionate about it. Yeah, de absolutely, definitely. Um, and sadly, that brings us to the final segment of the podcast. It's now time for a very special segment. We've teamed up with the Joel Dando News Centre to bring you the Good News Postcard. Your question today comes from Henne, age 12. I'm Henne from, from the King Alfred School Academy, and I'd like to ask you a question. What was the highest point in your career, the lowest point in your career, and how did you get through it? Henne, what a legend. Uh, thank you very much for those um those questions. So I'll start by the lowest point, and we already talked about it today. Definitely when that May the 9th, 2019, when it started going viral in a negative way. And honestly, mate, the the fear that was in me when I could see the the views on our site going up, the views on this advert going from 100,000 to 250,000 to half a million, 1 million, 2 million, and the negativity was just, it was probably the lowest point in my life, if I'm honest, for that second, even with all my mental health and do you know what it is with stuff like that, mate, is the fear of the unknown. And that's what mental health is a lot of the time is about you're worrying about something that's good, like the future, right? And then when you're in that, I was in that moment, I didn't think there was any way out. I thought the brand was over. And sometimes if I look back at myself, I wish I'd said, just take a breath. It'll be over in a few days and it'll be okay. So that was definitely the worst moment in my career. My best moment, I'll touch again on it earlier. <laughs> I always say it's right this second, right this second doing this interview or that question from you, mate right now because I am in a very fortunate position it's really difficult I, f I am stressed and it's tough mate but I literally can't I'm excited to go to bed to get up in the morning I'm excited to go home and see my family and regardless of how much money I'm ever going to make because I, I don't know if I'm ever going to make money I don't care about that if I have this feeling for the rest of my life <sighs> that's it for me mate so right this second after that question from you so hopefully that's, that helps Great. Thank you for sharing, Danny. And then our final question is from ourselves and we are Business Leader Magazine. And that is what makes a great business leader? Passion. Simple as that. For me, it's that one thing. If you find something you're passionate about, it can overcome everything. Of course, you can do something that maybe you can make money and you see a good gap. But for me, that passion about something, because people will follow you if you're passionate and you're not acting. So a good business leader for me is passion and belief what they're doing. 
Thank you so much for for joining us, Danny. Do you have any final words for our audience today? The only thing I'll probably say is just go and check out Jack jack.org so jaq.org completely free site loads of interesting people and they can ask loads hundreds thousands of questions around different mental health topics everything from menopause gut health physical health everything's on there so please check out because i think it could help you or might be able to help people you might know so check it out